0: Through February 28th, get a choice of offers from Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, like up to 24 months no payments and no interest, or up to $1,125 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com.
1: Certain restrictions apply. See showroom for details.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon,
1: Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let's get right to it. Let me update you on a story I believe we talked about on Wednesday's program. Well, remember there used to, there was an old movie that came out and it was kind of a comedy movie and it had a happy ending. It was called Revenge of the Nerds. Well, alright, there's something that doesn't have quite as happy an ending, I think, for most people. I call it Revenge of the Nimbies. That is the Not in My Backyarders. Alright, if you will recall, Strauss Meat processing plant. And I understand that the people who don't like this, and a lot of times it, it's folks who, what's the phrase, have never had a hamburger in their life, so they, they don't like meat to begin with. But then in order to, I think, try to prejudice issues, they, they call these things slaughterhouses. You know, they, they go back to the Upton Sinclair book in the 1920s about the jungle and stuff. Modern meat processing plants are not like this. Well, in any event, Strauss Brands, which is a very, very high-end Great corporate employer has had a veal processing plant in Franklin for a long time. They have outgrown this. They need to expand. You will recall the story. And they're looking to build a new, larger facility. They want to put 73 million bucks into the facility. The, when the facility first opens they estimate it will have 250 jobs but they think ultimately that's going to increase to 500 jobs and by the way these are good family supporting jobs um, that pay on average. 54 thousand bucks a year plus plus benefits so these are this is a good employer when this controversy first started a couple of years ago I made a point of actually driving down to the Strauss plant and it's something that I think a lot of people never bother doing and I'm here to tell you you, you drive down to the Strauss plant, you would not know it is a meat processing facility. You, you you just wouldn't. This is a modern, state-of-the-art facility. You could not distinguish this. If they said, okay, pick out the Amazon warehouse, pick out the, you know, what, whatever, the, the industrial section, you, you wouldn't be able to pick this one and distinguish it from any of the other industrial buildings. All right, so Strauss needs to expand. You will recall the history of this first What they do is they want to move into the city of Milwaukee. City of Milwaukee can't, can't get big Employers to come in and locate for a variety of reasons. So Strauss says we'll locate at Century City, which is the old um, like Alice Chalmers, A.O. Smith area down there on on Capitol Drive. Well, what happens is the alderman from the area kind of gets rolled by a couple neighbors. Oh, we don't want these slaughterhouses there. That, that's the phrase. And again, most people make this decision without recognizing what's involved, but but they throw up a stink. The alderman backs his support away, and Strauss says, "Okay, look." We, we we don't want to go where we're not wanted. And if you, city of Milwaukee, decide that you can just pee away hundreds and hundreds of good-paying jobs in an economically depressed area that can't find manufacturing businesses to move in, fine. So they decide, we'll back off. So then they go back to Franklin, where they've, like I said, been located forever. And they find this space in Franklin, vacant lot. They're going to buy and build on that. And again, you have the revenge of of the NIMBYs. This is not... Franklin proper. This is a handful, a relatively handful of, of people who decide not in our backyard, but a lot of them by the way they're, they're just people who don't like meat. Here, I'm looking at one of the pictures, matter of fact if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Wagner 620 it's got a link to some of the the people that are out there you know that are protesting and, and here's, here's why they don't like it. I'm reading some of the signs. Slaughterhouses are bad for animals, workers, community, and the planet. Um, Let's see, no slaughterhouse, increased crime, Increased crime because of the slaughterhouse. What's that all about? No devalued homes, environmental damage. All right, again, it's this craziness, but it's a fringe group that's been out there. And they filed a lawsuit, and they got a Milwaukee County Circuit Judge to say, okay, I'm going to put this thing on hold. So yesterday, there was a hearing. Last night, there was a hearing in front of the one of the, the boards down there to discuss Okay, where do we go from here? And I think what happened is Strauss Brands surprised a lot of people because they showed up and they said, all right, look, actually, they sent a note. They said, fine, you know, you don't want us here. You know, you don't want us to build a facility. Fine, we won't. We'll find somewhere else. And of course, the big argument. When I talked about this the other day, I got some email from somebody. Oh, you don't understand the facts. You don't get this, which typically, to me, means it's not that I don't understand the facts. It's that the person doesn't agree with me because oh, it's more than just a slaughterhouse. Well, I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at this story on t- on Channel Six, and again, I've got a link to this. Who wants to live next to a slaughterhouse? I don't want to live here. You know. Okay. Well, again, you. The, the, this is a sign of incredible ignorance that you think that this is a slaughterhouse like 1920s or whatever. But in any event, here's what happened. Um, Strauss Brands apparently just decided, fine, you don't want us, you NIMBYs, we'll move somewhere else. So, I mean, they haven't said exactly what they're going to do, but here's the bottom line. My guess is, all right, Franklin doesn't want them, so now they're going to be looking and they will it's not like they're not going to build their facility I, I mean i'm sorry for the people who you know don't like meat it's not like the rest of us are going to stop eating hamburgers and things like that so what's going to happen is strauss is going to take their money they're going to take their 73 million dollar project they're going to take their 250 to 500 well-paying jobs with benefits and they're going to go somewhere else maybe they'll be in Milwaukee County maybe they'll be in Ozaki County maybe Kenosha maybe Racine County who, who knows where they're gonna go but if you don't want them that's fine so you NIMBYs you've won down in Franklin but here's the point don't ever nobody in Franklin should ever complain again if your property taxes increase Never complain if you find that you cannot get other businesses to move in, especially industrial businesses, because they don't want to get the Strauss treatment. So it's fine. A victory for Nimbys. Relatively small handful of protesters are going to get their way. Franklin's going to lose good-paying jobs. They're going to lose over $70 million in economic development. And all I have to say about it is heavy sigh. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I'm a Franklin resident. I'm so disappointed in this huge loss to our economy. Don't people realize this could have lowered our taxes? Oh, but they don't care about that. Jeff, in South Milwaukee, there's a large industrial complex formerly occupied by Caterpillar or Bursaris. I think that Strauss would fit in there perfectly. Well, I, they're, they're going to go somewhere, and, and hopefully... They will stay in southeastern Wisconsin, so Franklin's loss is some other neighboring community's game gain. You, you would hate to see them leave the area. And again, I, I don't want to fault all you Franklin residents, but because I, I really do think that this is a very, very vocal minority who complained. But I mean, I understand. You know, where, where, um, where they're coming fresh another text I'm living in Franklin too I can't believe how much these protesters mess things up but I mean I get it look this is this is the attitude and I kind of applaud Strauss brands for having this this is the attitude they took in Milwaukee and I, I'm sure if I were their upper management I'd be sitting there saying wait a second, we've got this state-of-the-art facility. Anybody that would tour our facility or drive down here would never know that it's a slaughterhouse. But that's the phrase that the haters want to use. And, And so, But the idea is we want to spend $73 million. We want to bring all these jobs, and whether it's in the city of Milwaukee that desperately needs the jobs or out in Franklin where we've been a great corporate citizen for forever, they don't want us. Fine. Well, I'm sure that there are lots of communities out there that would open the door for them. So, I mean, I I applaud it. Maybe that's the way to deal with the NIMBYs of the world, just to say, fine, you don't want us? We'll, We'll go somewhere else and we'll take our economic development and we'll take our jobs. And like I say, right now, In Franklin, your property taxes go up. Employers decide that they're not going to move in. Don't complain to me because this is the type of thing that happens when you do that. All right. Uh, At the top of the hour news, you heard Eric Bilstadt telling you about the sentencing of Kim Potter. Kim Potter is the former Minnesota police officer who, on April 11th, Shot a man. For those of you who haven't been following the story, here's the deal. She was a police officer for over 20 years. Okay, she and a trainee pull over a a guy, uh, his name is Dante Dante Wright, because he had a blinker on in the wrong turn lane, expired tabs, and an air freshener hanging from his rearview mirror, which apparently is is illegal in Minnesota. Minnesota. All right, so they, they pull him over. They find that he had a warrant for arrest on a weapons violation and an order of protection against him which is i guess you know no contact because of whatever. So they they try to detain him because there's an outstanding warrant. During the struggle as Dante Wright is fighting, Potter shoots Wright, who then drove down the street crashes into an oncoming vehicle injuring the passenger, etc. So he, here's the deal. You will remember the story she pulls out her gun, her service Firearm. She thinks she's pulled out her taser, and I don't think there's any argument at all that this woman made a horrible mistake. But it was a mistake. There, uh, she and and how you can ask. I think. Fairly, you can ask, how can an experienced police officer make this kind of mistake? But I think everybody agrees that it was, in fact, a mistake. So she pulls out the what she thinks is the taser. The guy is resisting. She's screaming, taser, taser, taser. She pulls the trigger. Instead of a taser, it, it's it's a gun. And she shoots the man, and she ends up killing him. All right, so that, that's that's what happened there was not an intent to kill there was an intent to tase but nevertheless this forty nine-year-old veteran of the Minnesota the Brooklyn Center Minnesota police force has killed somebody she resigned two days later she went to trial she was convicted of first-degree manslaughter in accordance with Minnesota law she was looking at up to 15 years in prison The judge today sentenced her to two years, which means she's been in prison. She's been in prison for about two months, Um, assuming good behavior. She will probably serve another 16 months. So she'll do a little bit less than, than two years, assuming good behavior. That was her sentence. The prosecutors had asked for a larger sentence because, they felt that, you know, there were aggravating circumstances because she was a police officer and this damages public trust, etc. But she gets two years in prison. Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Okay, let us let me ask you the Goldilocks question about this. Is this sentence too light? I mean, a 20-year-old man is dead. Is it too heavy She's an experienced police officer. Yes, she shot somebody, but she didn't intend to do it. It was a tragic mistake. Or is this sentence just about right? 855-616-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss in just a moment.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Here's what the sentencing judge says. She says, look. This is a cop who made a tragic mistake. She drew her firearm thinking it was a taser and ended up killing a young man. She never intended to hurt anyone. Her conduct cries out for a sentence significantly below the sentencing guidelines. She said this is an extremely difficult case. This is the judge. One of the saddest cases I've had in 20 years on the bench. said I've got hundreds of hundreds of letters on her behalf that painted a portrait of a woman who touched a lot of people in a good way. So if we're asking the Goldilocks question to harsh to light or just about right I think it's just about right I, I I do I mean it was a mistake And it was just a pure, how you can do it, I I don't know, and somebody's dead. So there needs to be some accountability. But what do you get by putting this woman in in jail for five years or for 10 years or 15? What interest is it served by society? Is it going to deter other police officers from making a mistake because this was a mistake? Is it going to send a message? Do you need to punish her anymore? Her career is over. She's never going to be a law enforcement person again. But does she need to do some time? Yeah yeah, I think this is just about right. 855-616-1620. Gianni and Montello, good afternoon.
2: Good afternoon, Jeff. I, a great topic. Listen, I, I'm aware of this case and I've been following it. Um, I, I think it sends a message that if you're a police officer, um, the message you get is to just back off. So we have we have less engagement by our police officers. I, I, I think that's outrageous. That the prosecutor would ask for five years, Jeff. This was an honest mistake, an honest mistake, um, like going through a red light. I, I mean, if I am drunk and go through a red light and kill someone, I am I am liable, and you know, uh, uh, twenty years. But but this this woman was doing her job as a police officer. She made an honest mistake in in a, in a very difficult, high stressful situation, and I, I don't think that she's could get any time. Oh,
1: listen. Her life okay, is okay, well, thanks probably so much, you know, I, I understand. And as a matter of fact, let me share a couple of texts. I'm getting a, 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 a all across the board. Um, Jeff, I think the sentence was too heavy. That's to your point, Gianni. If the guy would have just complied with the officers, it would have never happened. It was an accident while on the job. She should have been given community service, um, etc. Um, Jeff, I think she should have gotten zero jail time because if the guy complied like normal people do and didn't re- resist and comply, it would have never happened. So it's his fault. Uh, see, I, But n- yes and no. Yes, did he start the events, the chain of events in motion by resisting? He did. But that doesn't exempt police officers from behaving in a professional sort of fashion. Jeff, how can you make that kind of mistake as an experienced police officer? I think the sentence is far too light. She should get at least 10 years. A man is dead. She needs to pay. Well, I don't buy that. I, I mean, yes, a man is dead. And yes, she needs to be held accountable. But what what do you gain by putting this particular woman in jail for for 10 years? Jeff, I'd say it's just about right. It was an accident, and if the victim would have cooperated, he would have never been killed. Um, Jeff, it's sad that a 20-year-old is dead, but let's remember everything that led up to the officer's action. I mean, yeah, that's that's the case. I guess I look at all this and, and I say, all right, there needs to be a degree of accountability, no question about it. Two years it sends a message. First of all, it punishes her. Secondly, it sends a message that people need to be more careful. But I don't know what the deterrent value is to something like this, because like I say, it it was, a, it was a mistake. How it could happen, don't know, but it ended up doing it. I think in this case, the Goldilocks question, too light, too heavy, or just about right, I think it was just about right.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on
1: WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Contact them at 920-291-3800 or visit PellaWI.com to learn more about the Pella Promise and to set up a free consultation. That's Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Pella now. Pay later. All right this story is now getting national attention even though it happened a little while ago and it raises all sorts of insu- issues about the council- cancel culture and snowflakes in academia and all these things so it 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 starts with a law school professor his name is Jason Kilborn and he's a professor at the University of Illinois at Chicago it's the John Marshall law school um, which isn't it's a law school. Don't mean to diminish people who came out of John Marshall, but it, it wouldn't be like an Ivy League school or anything like that. The guy teaches civil procedure. Now Let me explain what civil procedure is. Civil procedure is a class that I, I think at most law schools, if not all, first-year law students have to take it. And civil procedure teaches you the, the basics of the, the court system. Who is a plaintiff? Who is a defendant? How do you start a lawsuit? Where do you start the lawsuit? What is the appropriate venue? How do you begin the lawsuit? How do you serve a summons? You know, all, what are the rules that apply to that? And then it goes through, again, procedural matters. After you start the lawsuit, you know, what, what happens? Let's focus on discovery. Discovery is the process in a lawsuit where the other side, you get to, do a number of things. Maybe you will depose people. Um, Maybe you will send out interrogatories, which are like written questions. But anyhow, you get civil procedures, exactly what it sounds like. It is a basic introduction to the procedures that you use and what you have to do and what you don't have to do when you're involved in in litigation. So that's it. So um, as part of the law school final his final exam he's apparently been using these problems for for years so this isn't just something that he came up with and, and what typically happens in these law school exams, and they're, they're written, and what will happen is he'll, you, you come up, you give out a fact sen- situation, fact scenario, and then you ask a question. And then you, you follow that up, and you use a different uh, facts, you Using that same fact situation, you, you maybe ask a different question or something like, like that. Or assume this happened, what would be the appropriate response? Okay, so that's kind of the background. And again, he's been using this question for years. Without any sort of problem at all. All right. So here's the subpart of the question that has created all the controversy. And again, this is a question which is going to for, to law students in civil procedure. I'm going to I'm going to read you the question exactly as it is put to the audience, the students. Here's the question. Quote: Employer's lawyer traveled to meet the manager who stated that she quit her job at employer after she attended a meeting in which other managers expressed their anger at plaintiff calling her a quote N the letter N and then a line end quote and quote B line end quote and then it says in quotation marks profane expressions for African-Americans and women so it, it appeared in the text N and B profane expressions for African Americans and women, and vowed to get rid of her. The question continues. Later, plaintiff's lawyer served an interrogatory demanding the identity and location of any person with any information related to the termination of plaintiff's employment and employer, or potential discrimination against plaintiff by employer, or any other agent of employer. Can employer identify the former manager but properly withhold her location as this is the product of significant amount of work and expense by employer's attorney? I don't quite understand what their asking but because i haven't seen the other questions but that's not what the controversy is the controversy is in the fact situation that is presented to the law students the person who is suing is alleging that she attended this meeting and that people at the meeting called her a quote n and a b and, and that that's what's in there Okay, it doesn't have those words. We know what the words are. It doesn't have them. But the allegation is this is what she was called. And then it goes on to ask a question about, again, civil procedure, what she entitled to in discovery. The law professor has been asking this question. This is not new. It has appeared on his exams for years. Never created a controversy till one student of color goes in and complains to the dean of the law school saying that he or she, I'm not sure which, was just offended and was appalled that this question would include a reference in this fashion. Okay, and the argument is that at least for some students, it created a momentous distraction and caused unnecessary distress and anxiety for those taking the exams. All right. 855-616-1620. The professor has been suspended for a year and now there is questions about whether he will ever teach again. This is coming back in the news because just the other day he gave a lengthy interview with the Chicago Tribune talking about how just personally devastating this has been for him that he's getting canceled in this fashion. George Will, noted conservative commentator, he's taken up the cause, etc. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. Okay, that, that's, that's I think a, a fair summary of this. He did not use those words, but he's creating a scenario where somebody in his fact situation on this law school class somebody has been fired because They use these words, and he doesn't even put them in print. They use these words in reference to a manager. She's now quit. She started a lawsuit. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, have we now gotten to the point where, well, I guess let me just ask this. Does he deserve to be disciplined? Is this culturally insensitive? And what does it say for the would be lawyers out there who are now saying gosh th- this was a momentous distraction um and and really we we couldn't even concentrate anymore because we were so shocked to see this particular question 855-616-1620 that is the Equinet mortgage talk and text line i guess my initial reaction to this is I mean, goodness help, I I don't know what sort of generation of attorneys we're going to be talking about because I, I guarantee you, you know, when you get out of law school, this would be my message, when you get out of law school, trust me, you are going to be dealing with fact situations that are a lot worse than this, and a lot more. I would argue offensive than than this. I guess the question is, if you are just going to be paralyzed because in a workplace setting you get a case in a workplace setting. My late wife was an employment lawyer. You get a you get a case in a workplace setting where the allegation is there, there's a hostile racial environment or something, um, and, and if you're going to freak out. If somebody mentions a name that was said in the plant floor or something like that, I guess my attitude is if if you can't handle seeing the initial end followed by a couple lines um, after that, how seriously, how are you going to be able to do your job as an attorney? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
0: 855-616-1620.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Now look, th- this isn't a conversation we're having about whether or not we, we should be teaching. Uh, i don't know we should let it be people let read the, to kill a mockingbird in in a high school class because of some of the language that's there or whether or not we should have you know huckleberry finn or tom sawyer taught in a high school class because of some of the language that appears in in the books this is a story about a law school professor who in a civil procedure exam to law school students is crafting a civil procedure question about a lawsuit that's being filed by someone who alleges that they effectively had to quit because they were called all these horrible names and by again not even putting the names in there but simply referencing them by the letter N or the letter B, this has now resulted in the professor being suspended for the better part of the year Eight five five six one six one six twenty. 616 Jeff if this was an actual scenario would that person tell their law firm they can't take the case do you fire them then do you get sued for termination well that see that that's the, the whole situation Jeff I don't understand how they're supposed to learn Jeff oh boy if this is something that drives someone to a safe space or mortally offends them they will be in for a rude awakening in the real world help us all. Well, I I think that's the the situation. Jeff, I feel that the dean of the law school should have told the kid that they can't handle something like this in that context. And again, context is is important. If this were a story about the professor standing in front of the class and lecturing and repeated use of for example, the N-word, this would be a different sort of situation. But this is a question that has been on that law school exam for years and apparently nobody has had a problem. Jeff, I feel that dean of the law school should have told the kid that if he can't handle something like this in the context that he should maybe choose a different profession. But we live in a world of the perpetually offended and they'll do whatever they can to cancel those that they do not agree with. Um, Jeff, these students... Will last one week in the real world well, yeah, Jeff, will future lawyers who introduce these issues refuse all clients with facts as defined in this particular simple case I, yeah, I mean Jeff, it's a hypothetical question. What do you say life is tough get a helmet? Well, I do say that and get, it would just ne- if the, this is the interesting thing about it. I don't think it ever even occurred to the professor that after having used this relatively simple, straightforward, factual situation for an ongoing period of time, that this would be a situation that suddenly generated this kind of controversy, much less something that ended up getting him suspended. Now, look, I understand that we issues of racism are real. And I I also think that there's no question that people, there there are certain words that I believe should not be part of the English language, okay, they just shouldn't come out of people's mouths, and I would say that regardless of what the race of the person is. I I think there's some words that if we just, the society would be a better place if people did not use them, period. But But unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect place nowadays. So when you're constructing a law school question, which has a set of facts, which I will tell you could very easily happen, unfortunately, still in today's society, but even presenting it in this very, very generic fashion, that's something which offends some of the people who might be taking the class, makes me just shake my head when it comes to the whole notion of, you know, what is the future profession of law? Of the future of the professional law going to look like. Back with more in just a minute this is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us. The current total is 1227. 1227. That is the number of automobiles stolen from the mean streets of Milwaukee um, year to date. Now, it, that's always, it's actually, that's a lagging indicator. So those numbers are always a little bit behind. But to give you an apples to apples comparison, this time last year, according to the police department, there were 1,164 cars stolen. So, uh, about 60 cars more stolen this year than last year. And for those keeping track, last year, all time record, 10,481 cars stolen. So even though January and February, winter around here, tends to be lower crime normally. We're we're still... They're still ahead of the pace. You know, once summer comes along, then then look out. But they're still ahead of the pace on car thefts. We're averaging about 25 cars stolen a a day. And I know I talk a lot about this, and I know sometimes people just kind of, their eyes gloss over on this because they say, what's the big deal? You know, a lot of people have insurance, so who cares? Your car gets stolen. It's a little bit of an inconvenience. Why do we dwell on this? Let me share an email. I received from one of our listeners. Jeff, thanks for continuing to bring up the car theft issue in Milwaukee. Um, I thought you might want to mention this. My daughter had her car stolen. It took three months to find the parts to repair it. Her insurance covered all repairs except the deductible. The bad news is she needed to rent a car for three months and $1,000 per month, and the insurance policies only cover one month of the rental costs, $2,000 out of pocket that she cannot afford. A young, hardworking girl, yet another victim. It is sad. Yeah, that's... See, that's the thing that, that's out there. There's some people that I, I understand want to just view this whole idea of car theft as, uh, car theft as being like a victimless crime. Oh, okay, it's, it's, carjacking is different, but it, it's just this isn't a crime of violence. Well, first of all, if you have ever been a victim of crime you know there is this feeling of violation I mean you you come out your car is parked in front of your house or in in your driveway or whatever and you come out and boom all of a sudden it's gone and all the stuff in your car is gone somebody has violated your space and that's that's a big deal then you've got the whole idea of the inconvenience. Your car is gone. So what do you do? You've got to file the insurance claim. And and yeah, maybe you're going to get insurance, but okay, nowadays, especially with the shortage of parts or whatever, if the car is found and needs to be repaired, or good luck trying to buy another car in today's market. We'll talk a little bit about that later on and replace it, much less the the short-term inconvenience of, okay, how how am I going to get to work today? And how am I going to get to work tomorrow, it's all these different things, and and just because it's not a carjacking, just because someone doesn't stick a gun in your face and drive off with your two kids in the back seat, which is is a terrible violation as well doesn't mean that this is not a big deal. So I bring this up in part because we've got a mayoral election coming up, and I understand the mainstream media has pretty much said it's Cavalier Johnson's to win, and there's no way that Bob Donovan can win, and maybe that's going to turn out to be the case. But this is a -a once-in-a-generation opportunity to at least press the candidates about what they are going to do, because car theft is not a victimless crime, and car theft is not decreasing it's up over last year as amazing as that might be back with more in just a couple minutes this is jeff wagner
0: live from the annex wealth management studios this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good
1: afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the show all right over the last couple days i've been reading some of the stuff involving the upcoming election in the Republican Party. And of course, you've got the, the handful of people who are still in denial about the, the results of the 2020 election. And I understand this might be shocking to some people, but here's the bottom line Joe Biden won the election, Joe Biden is the president. Joe Biden is not going to be frog marched out of the Oval Office. So for crazy people out there who hold a rally at the state capitol and say, All right, here's what we want to do. We're we've got this plan for Wisconsin to decertify the 10 electoral votes that were cast in December of 2020, which, by the way, is, is now well over a year ago. We're going to decertify, and then we're going to get Arizona and Michigan or somewhere else to decertify, and next thing you know, we're going to reinstitute Donald Trump back in the Oval Office. Okay, I, I hate to say this, but this is, this is crazy talk and it's not going to happen and you just by going down this rabbit hole all you do is make yourself look crazy to the general population now I understand and I've said this before there are things that I think you could do to clean up the the election and there are legal questions about gee is this procedure authorized or is that procedure authorized And, and ultimately the courts will decide them but for everybody who is again On this crazy train that thinks that all right, here's what we got to do: we've got to get rid of Robin Voss. Who I I mean, I I put a... I sent a tweet. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty. It's just it's so just so crazy. I mean, aside from Scott Walker, over the last decade, I don't know that there's anybody who's been more responsible for pushing through a conservative agenda in Wisconsin than states uh, Speaker of the Assembly Robin Voss. And yet, because he's not. completely wearing the tin foil hat there's some people who say, "Well, you got to you got to get rid of him." It's just it, it makes you just shake your head and wonder. And then that brings me to the Republicans who are running for for governor. And I'm looking at the, the latest story in the Journal Sentinel by Dan Bison. and these are the types of things, by the way, that just play into the mainstream media that's out there. The headline is Rebecca Clayfish takes off the gloves, accusing Kevin Nicholson of being an opportunist and a shapeshifter. And then it talks about Clayfish going after. Nicholson. Nicholson, and then it talks about the stuff that Nicholson has said, and none of them apparently like Robin Voss, and everybody wants them out, and it's just this kind of circular firing squad that is out there in an election that is eminently winnable on the merits. And then of course into this floats former Governor Tommy Thompson, who has been a friend of mine for a long time. The headline is, Tommy Thompson says he will spend the coming weeks deciding whether to run again for Wisconsin Governor. Well, okay, let's answer this. Tommy is 80 years old. If Tommy decides to get in the race, he's an energetic 80. I mean, I had an opportunity to have a relatively lengthy conversation with him at our our WTMJ Christmas event um, in November. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, I mean, he's he, he, he is extremely energetic. I guess the question becomes, at a certain point in time in your life, do you want to do that again? I mean, do you have a real calling? Do you say, okay, I, I want to go back into that, the meat grinder of, again, public life and that. If Tommy Thompson win, runs, he wins the Republican nomination. If Tommy Thompson wins the Republican nomination, he, he's elected governor. I'm still not convinced that that's really what he wants to do at this point in time in his life, but you've got you know Tommy Thompson that's out there. You've got the governor candidates. You've got the lunatic fringe who is talking to people about let's let's decertify the election. And and when what Republicans should be talking about is I don't know the economy and the crime issues and the role of the governor in getting unemployment checks during the pandemic. They're M P S. There's just a million issues that are out there that I think average voters care about, whereas I think for most voters you hear the idea of okay we want to decertify the election so that somebody is going to reinstitute Donald Trump before 2024 and I think most people's eyes glaze over and they go this is crazy which brings me to the launching point for the discussion I want to have. I'm, I'm reading a book Right now, um, it's it's about the Nixon Kennedy election in 1960. It's a new book out, and it, it's it's actually it's very very interesting, and it's, it's kind of revisionist because this is this is Nixon before Watergate and all, and it it's. It talks about how Nixon really kind of got messed over. That's the, that's the point of it, about how the, the mainstream media decided to cover up a lot of Kennedy's flaws and uh, really kind of go after Nixon. I, and I don't know, you can take it with a grain of salt, but it's an interesting sort of book. But but what I was thinking of when I was reading this last night with, with what's going on in Wisconsin politics in 2022, in 1960, Richard Nixon was the vice president under Dwight Eisenhower, and he appeared to be coasting towards the nomination. But there were Nelson Rockefeller, who was the governor of New York, who represented like the liberal wing of the Republican Party. There were people who were pushing um, Nelson Rockefeller to try to block the, the nomination of Richard Nixon uh, on, on the left. And then Barry Goldwater, who went on to be the Republican candidate in 64, there were people who were arguing that Nixon isn't conservative enough and that what has to happen is that you have Barry Goldwater should lead, lead the rally and, and they had all these different issues. And at the Republican National Convention in 1960, Barry Goldwater looked out at his supporters and all the other supporters, and his, his phrase was "grow up, conservatives." For, in the the context was for all these people who say, "Oh, we got to dump Nixon, and and we need to we need to rebel, and we need to to fight back." His his expression was "grow up," and and I marked that in the book last night when I read it because I, I think what Barry Goldwater said in 1960 is. Very reminiscent of what people need to be saying to some of the Republican leaders or the people who want to be leaders in 2022, which is exactly those two words. Grow up. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? Is that a fair commentary to some of this silliness that is going on on a daily basis that does nothing except perhaps make it more likely that Tony Evers gets reelected. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: 855-616-1620. I guess my, my reaction, and maybe it's just because we're looking at another... What nine months or so of an election season and as we get through the, the primary election I, I just think it's going to end up getting more and more heated but I'm watching what's going on on the Republican side of the aisle and yes we're going to talk a lot about the, the Democratic candidates and the fact that collectively the people running for Senate are way to the left of Joe Biden we're going to talk a lot about the Evers record but the, the Republicans this circular firing squad that is going on and it, it's one story after another that again feeds into this narrative that that people want to say about how Republicans are collectively crazy because we're arguing about the, the 2020 election to the point that you have a rally at the state capitol a couple days ago where you got a couple hundred people who apparently are under this impression that If some guy gets elected governor, who's got no chance of getting elected governor, what's going to happen is we will decertify Wisconsin's electoral votes, and somehow that's going to, if done by a number of other states, that's going to lead to, I don't know, Joe Biden being removed from office and Donald Trump being put in. Huh? I mean, really, and this is, I'm I'm channeling Barry Goldwater now, back in 1960, you know, when when he was addressing this effort to try to stop Nixon from getting the nomination, and his his message was, grow up, and I think that's an admirable thing to say, grow up. Up, Jeff. I agree with you. I voted Republican my whole life. I cannot even talk to certain Republican friends of mine who have completely gone off the deep end and cannot let go of Trump. All of this while Democrats are screwing up cities, states, and the country, and all Republicans need to do is get out of the way and let them self destruct. Um, Jeff. I don't think we should advocate for decertifying election, but I do think we should get someone in office who is concerned about election integrity. I don't know what election, I don't know what that means, and nobody knows what it means. I mean, uh, election in integrity. You've, you've got election laws, and they are subject to interpretation, and the Supreme Court needs to issue rulings about, for example, the drop boxes and things like that. It is a very open question of law. Sooner rather than later, the Supreme Court will make the rulings, and then you'll have the dis, you'll have the definitive decision, but this idea of election in integrity—alright, th- that's th- this crazy idea that I don't know fifty thousand people pulled the lever on the voting machines or or put in their their ballots and voted for Donald Trump, and somehow it got counted for Joe Biden. Memo to reality: it did not happen. There is absolutely no evidence that suggested it happened. So when we talk about when we talk about election integrity, I mean. You know, seriously, um, Jeff, fighting in the pretend world is easier than working to solve problems in the real world. Yeah, I think that that's a I think that that's a fair question about this. And and again, I think you you want to focus. If I were giving advice to the candidates including if Tommy Thompson gets in the election. Like I say, if Tommy Thompson decides to run, he will get the Republican nomination and he will win. The big question that uh, the former governor has to decide is whether at the age of 80 this is what he wants to do. But, uh, I mean, the bottom line of all this is for everybody else to obsess about who can be crazier about the election and who can come up with the more whacked out theories and and who can say, well, we need to dump Robin Voss because, well, Robin Voss has only hired... uh, uh, Michael Gableman and Gableman's only spent $700,000 so far you know chasing and tilting at windmills. I mean my, my goodness and as a conservative it pains me to have this conversation but every day when I turn on the news, whether it's on the radio or the television or you pick up some of these newspapers and I read lots of newspapers and websites, I just shake my head going, Why why aren't people talking about the issues that are going to drive people to the polls, whatever they may be? Bill Clinton, when he gets elected, when he got elected in nineteen ninety two, what what was it? You know, they had the big sign up over the wall that said, It's the economy stupid. That's what he talked about. For me, if I was advising candidates In 2022, it would be talk about crime. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't have to stretch facts. You don't have to go too far to talk about how out-of-control crime is, for example. You know, talk about issues involving the schools, things like that. There are so many real issues that are out there, and yet people are having these conversations about, well, well, gee, maybe we can frog-march uh, Joe Biden out of this. I mean, I don't know. Jeff, it's because people are doing this because they don't want to upset the Trump base. Um well, okay, it, it, I don't know what the Trump base is, but if the Trump base is based on, on craziness here that we're, you know we're really going down these rabbit holes, well you're not going to win elections anyways. I mean that's, that's just the bottom line of all this stuff. So I, again, it's the frustration, but my two-word message. Again, to people who are obsessed with relitigating 2020 without concentrating on the future, is grow up. Back with more in just a minute.
2: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. Again, the show was largely preempted because of WTMJ 2022 yesterday. I want to call your attention to a couple of tweets I sent out. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Wagner 620 Very interesting stories. First of all, on, on the positive note, Solly's... Restaurant, Sally's Coffee Shop, which has been there for forever. I mean, I, it's in Glendale, it's on Port Washington Road just south of Hampton, and as somebody who grew up in Glendale and as a child of the 70s, I've been going there, you know, since I, I was a kid. The owner, Glenn Fieber, is a friend, his, um, wife, this, this is kind of what a small world it is. His wife was my secretary years and years ago in another life when I was in the private practice of, of law. Um, I've done a lot of stuff with Glenn. He's very active in Vietnam Veterans Group and stuff. And in any event, Solly's Restaurant um, has been recognized as a James, Bo- James Beard Foundation Award winner. And that kind of is, it's like the Super Bowl for for restaurants, and it's an incredible accomplishment, and I, I sent out a tweet on this, but I just want to mention publicly how great that is, and if you get a chance, you know, stop by, and they, they still serve, they make the vanilla milkshakes, and they still serve them in those metal containers, and, and then you pour them into a glass, be careful when you're doing that, and and the cheeseburgers and stuff, I mean, two cheeseburgers, it's going to clog your arteries, but I'm going to tell you, it's absolutely, totally worth it, so a special congratulations to Solid a uh, grill, which has been, like I say, around forever. James Beard Foundation Award winner is incredibly cool. Secondly, uh, the the guy who was shot. Um, at the George Webb's restaurant a couple weeks ago he, he's speaking out i've got a link to his story he did an interview with channel 6 and he's it's amazing that he's going to survive this was you want to talk about some ironies here what ended up happening is is he he wasn't even supposed to work that night, but he gets called in because they've got nobody to work third shift at George Webb's on 122nd and uh, North. So he, he goes in to work. He's the only waiter, and, and they're busy for some reason late at night. And so they're, they're doing their best to keep up. But you've got these four customers who are extremely unhappy that the food is coming out slowly, and they say, we ordered a hamburger and you didn't bring us our hamburger, et cetera. So they're, they're asked to leave because they're creating disturbance. These two women, instead of leaving, Leaving. one punches the guy knocks him down the other one pulls out a gun and shoots him at close to point-blank range in the face now they're both in jail and hundred thousand dollars bail but it's a, just a fascinating story as the young man's talking about and he's he, he's still got the bullet lodged in the back of his neck I don't know if they're ever going to be able to get that out but he's not paralyzed they think he's going to largely recover if not fully recover but it's an interesting story if you want to check it out and uh, again you, you got to be thinking Wow, all I did was agree to pick up an extra shift. I wasn't even scheduled to work that night, and all this happened.
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So very glad to have you with us. But one of my frustrations over the last couple of years has been the idea that as crime has gotten worse and worse, Nobody's been willing to step up and do anything about it. You know, every time there's a a reckless driving incident where somebody dies at an intersection, you know, we we have a lot of the politicians that gather and everybody expresses their unhappiness and their dismay, and that's all appropriate, but nobody does anything because, in part, I think they're afraid, some of the politicians are afraid to upset their constituents because, well, I, I don't know, but the bottom line is I've believed for the longest time that the general public is so far ahead of where the political chattering class is when it comes to matters of law enforcement and holding people accountable, that that it's not even funny. That's starting to change a little bit, and we discussed this a couple weeks ago, but, but now it's starting apparently to become a reality. The Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission, which has been just a dumpster fire for the longest time, has a bunch of new members on it. And apparently they're at least starting to take the idea of public safety a little bit more serious. We all know that reckless driving is a huge problem, not only in the city of Milwaukee, but also in the suburbs as well. Can I see a show of hands? The number of people who in the last week have been on the roads and you've been, I don't know, passed by somebody driving 75 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone, where you've been passed on on the right by somebody double the speed limit in the bike lane, where somebody has blown through a stop sign or blown through a red light. All all these examples of reckless driving, which on any given occasion can result in in people being dead or, or seriously injured. And a lot of times if they don't, it's just but for the grace of God. So what do we know about a lot of the cars that are involved here? Many of them are going to be stolen. Many of them are going to be unregistered the people that are driving them are probably neither never going to had a driver's license or the driver's license is going to have been revoked a long time ago and for a lot of these cases even if the car is not stolen the chances of the car being insured in Wisconsin you're supposed to carry insurance the chances of the car being insured are like slim to none and, and slim is on a bus heading out of town so you, you have this huge problem well Yesterday, the Fire and Police Commission decided to take what I would describe, I was going to say a baby step, but that's not fair. It's, it is, I, I think it's a warranted step. So what a, a committee did the other day that is now going to be enacted because the committee represents the majority of the Fire and Police Commission, they changed the rules for Milwaukee police when it comes to calling Captain Hook and towing cars. Okay, this is the guidance that they are now giving Milwaukee police officers. All right, anytime cops make a traffic stop, they are entitled to tow the car if they determine that the car is unregistered and has been unregistered for at least 31 days. So it's not a deal where you, you just, you know, you're, you you sent in your, your money a week late. These, these are cars that have been unregistered for at least a month. So here's the deal if if during the traffic stop they determine that the vehicle is unregistered and if there is a citation that's been issued for speeding at least 25 miles an hour over the posted limit, endangering safety for reckless driving or fleeing from an officer or drag racing. So if it's any of those different situations the police make the stop The car is unregistered, and the reason the stop is because the person was driving 25 miles an hour or more over the limit, endangering safety for reckless driving, which would be like blowing through a red light or something like that, or fleeing an officer. If that's the case, what's going to happen is they're calling Captain Hook, the tow truck driver is coming out, and they are hauling the car away. And presumably, in order to get that car back, what would happen is somebody would have to come forward and, first of all, pay the fines. Secondly, get the car registered. And third, um, verify that it is, in fact, theirs. Our number is 855 is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I was going to describe this as a baby step because, candidly, I think I would argue that Forget the unregistered part of this. I mean, any time you catch anybody doing any of those three things, I think you can make a strong argument that, boom, that person should be in the back of the squad car in handcuffs and you should be calling the tow trucks anyways. But I, but I don't want to belabor that. I want to give credit where credit is due. Unregistered vehicle involved in one of these incidents, now the policy is towed. I think that is a great idea. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Hear me out. I don't think it solves all the problems that are there, but I think it's a positive first step. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Five six one six one six twenty. One of our texts says, "Jeff, this makes no difference. If you only, it makes no difference on towing cars when most of the reckless drivers are in stolen cars." Well, wait. I, I don't know that, and I doubt the person who's texted me knows knows that. There, like, I understand that there, a lot of the reckless driving comes from people who are in fact in stolen cars. I, I get that, and those cars. Presumably, you know, when they catch the person, the person's going to be arrested and they're going to be towed. Okay. But this, this is that different subset. This is the people who are driving unregistered cars. And, and there's a lot of that out there. Is it more than the stolen cars? I, I don't know. But there's a lot of that out there. And again, I, I think if anything, if anything, you could argue maybe it should be more expansive, just not the reckless driving. But if you're not supposed to be driving, for example, without insurance or without a license, maybe your car should be towed as well. But that's something you can look at moving forward. I guess I look at this and say, even if it's not going to stop somebody from stealing a car and driving recklessly, maybe it will deter someone who is driving their own car or who has borrowed somebody else's car that is unregistered from, from doing that. If nothing else, maybe it will inspire more people to register cars. I guess I look at this and say, is it a magic bullet? No. Can it hurt? No. John on the west side. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. John. Okay, let's try Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good
3: afternoon, Good afternoon Jeff. How are you?
1: Good. What do you think? Jeff,
3: yeah. I think it's an go excellent ahead. idea because, uh, in my opinion, yep. You there?
1: Yeah, go ahead. You're yep. on the air. Hello. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, Mike, thanks for the call. I'm sorry. Were you there, Mike? Okay, we lost Mike there. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, Jeff, when I was 19, I drove with a suspended license, was involved in a car accident. Fortunately, no one was injured but me. I was ordered to pay restitution for the damages caused, went to jail for 10 days. I learned a lot. Well, yeah, Jeff, great idea. However, who is paying to have the vehicles towed? Well, what's going to happen is it's like any time you get your vehicle towed, that the city comes out, they'll have a deal with the tow truck operators, they'll hook the car up, they'll take it back to the impound lot, and then if you want to get that car back, what's going to happen is you're going to have to pay the towing cost, etc. So ultimately, what's going to happen is the owner of the unregistered car is going to have to pay for it. And again I I some people are saying well this isn't going to stop that or it's not going to stop that. It, it's look, it's it's not it's not perfect. I, I understand that. Because the problem with reckless driving involves a whole myriad of different problems. Uh, but at the same time I just, I don't see a downside to this. If you're driving an unregistered vehicle and you blow through a red light, um, you know, going 40 miles an hour over the speed limit, or you lead the police on a high speed chase, I see no reason in God's green earth if, why, you know, they should just put you back in that car and, and, and send you on your way. Jeff, I think this is a great first step. I watched the TV show Parking Wars. They boot vehicles with outstanding tickets and then they tow them away. Jeff, one of the members of the Fire and Police Commission voted against towing unregistered cars saying punitive measures won't fix the problem. Does that make any sense? No, no, that, that makes no sense at all. Punitive measures won't fix the problem. Okay. Um, And again, but this is, you have to understand, this is part of the philosophy that that people have been dealing with and that unfortunately has pervaded urban areas in general, and Milwaukee in particular, that we we don't want to be punitive. Oh my gosh, you've just driven, you've led the police on a high-speed chase in an unregistered vehicle. Heaven forbid that we're going to, you know, tow the car and, and make you if it's your car have to come in and pay to get it back or the owner of the car come to have to pay to get it back oh heaven forbid that that's punitive well okay I I want a little bit of punitive because I want to discourage people from being out on the road and driving eighty miles an hour blowing through a red light leading the police on a high-speed chase and inevitably when they run through the red light sooner or later they're gonna lose control of the car go airborne hit and kill people I mean why not Jeff people respond to action if they can't drive their car, they can't drive it recklessly. Um, Yeah, I I think it's that simple. Um, Andy in West Bend says, Jeff, it's a no-brainer. The state of Wisconsin should enact this law as a statewide law. Jeff, it won't solve the problem completely, but it's a big step. Only problem is they will need a larger impound lot. Well, yeah, that's that's all it. And Again, I think one of the frustrations you see it is oftentimes what ends up happening is b- because you say it's not going to solve all the problems, and somebody would say, "Okay, well, this this could create an issue here. This could create a, an issue there. It's well, what a, what about the stolen car? What about this and that person's still going to be doing it?" And 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 I concede all of that. I can see that that's you know a, a possibility that's there, but but that doesn't mean you don't do it in an effort to at least impose some sort of consequence. Rich in Gritchfield says, Jeff, of course, you take the vehicle away, absolutely. Well, I think that's the case as well. Jeff, at least there's some sort of consequence. I think that would be a good start. I do as well. Francis in Germantown. Francis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Yeah, Jeff, uh, nice to speak to you. You know, Jeff, it's not I've been driving in... Milwaukee for like 36 years as a delivery driver with my business and it's not just the young people stealing the cars. I see people 50s 60s some in the early 70s blow through the stop signs blow through the arterial lights they just don't care. I mean 145 they can be going 100 miles an hour fly by me it's just it's like a war zone and I wanted to get your opinion on what you think on some of the side streets ones like on Grant Tolson Villa where you get on the expressway they blow through there non stop. Multiple accidents. Poles have been taken down left and right. What about putting these speed bumps? You can't do it I know on our regular streets because you gotta have the flow of the traffic. What about putting these speed bumps where you know at the end of these streets that lead across the major streets that people blow through to put the speed bump there? They have to yeah, stop yeah. anyways for the stop sign. What's the difference if they roll over the speed bump to stop? You'd probably stop some of these intersections that are major accidents that are just cross ones not red lights but regular right. signs
1: no Francis thanks for the call and, and, you know interestingly enough the acting mayor Cavalier Johnson you who know, announced a proposal I think it was yesterday that what they want to do is they want to spend like between eight and nine million dollars um, in in various parts of the city for what they're t- time they're talking about like improved roads bike lanes and things like you were discussing in a few of the areas for example um, you know, Capital Drive is just, uh, unfortunately, I mean, Capital Drive is just crazy. And this, I'm mean, talking to somebody who drives Capital Drive occasionally, and whenever we're talking about reckless driving situations, it seems like it's almost ca- always Capital Drive. But what they're looking at is they're, they're talking about some improvements to the streets, and I don't know if it's specifically speed bumps, but it's going to be things like, okay, narrowing the, the streets, and maybe putting in bike lanes, and putting in some boulevard areas, and things like that, that may it I think more difficult to get up to high rates of of speed and again I don't know that this is a silver bullet because the truth is I guess on the one hand, if you've got somebody who's driving a stolen or an unregistered car or whatever and decides they want to flee from the police, I I don't know that putting in things that would calm traffic or stuff like that is necessarily going to stop them from doing it. But I guess I look at this and I say, "I, I don't think it's a bad idea. I think everything has to be on the table. And if you can change traffic flow to make it more difficult for perhaps for people to get up to 80 or 90 miles an hour or something like that. I'm all in favor of that as well. So I think you have to have a multi-pronged approach to this. But going back and circling back to where we started from, I got to tell you, I I think part of that multi-pronged approach is getting more serious with the people that do it. And if that means calling Captain Hook and hauling away the car, I say call Captain Hook, haul away the car. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner, so glad to have you with us. Well, good news and bad news. Let's start with the bad news. Uh, Major League Baseball has just announced today that spring training games are canceled until at least March 5th. For those of you who have been keeping score at home, uh, the owners locked out the players because they they don't want to have the players go on strike later on. So there's a lockout. Nothing's been going on with baseball. Spring training is supposed to to get underway. It has not gotten underway. And now you're in a situation where spring training baseball games canceled until at least March 5th. And if you were listening to our WTMJ 2022 broadcast yesterday, I think there's a lot of smart people who think that unless Major League Baseball and the Union can get their collective acts together, um, there's a chance that opening day, which for the Brewers is supposed to be March 31st, is going to be in jeopardy. For me, it's just mind boggling. Just mind boggling when there's all this money involved that you can't, you can't get together and get this thing done. But that's the way of the world. The good news is that Milwaukee appears to be, I think, one of the leaders in the clubhouse to get the 2024 Republican convention. It's down to three cities, Salt Lake City, Milwaukee, and Nashville. And candidly, from a political perspective, Salt Lake City really doesn't offer the Republicans anything in 2024 because the Republicans are going to carry Utah. Tennessee And Wisconsin might be states in play. Nashville is a great city. Milwaukee is a great city. Um, The story is Milwaukee takes the lead. I I don't know that you want to count your chickens before they're hatched, but it's very, very good news. And wouldn't it be cool, especially after what happened with the DNC in 2020, to have the RNC back in 2024? Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. My
1: advice to this lady would be, Go buy some lottery tickets because you're extremely lucky. Here's the story. The lady is a 46-year-old 40, West Bend woman. She works for DoorDash. So she's, she's a DoorDash driver. And this happened two nights ago. So it happened on, on Wednesday. Apparently, um, she's working as a pizza delivery person. And so there's a guy in, in Barton, the town of Barton, which is just a little bit to the north of West Bend. And he calls to order a pizza. So through DoorDash, so the 46-year-old lady goes and she picks up the pizza and she's coming into to his house. So apparently as she's walking up to the door, going to the front door with, with the pizza, what happens is a shotgun blast is fired through the door. <laughs> okay, so she's walking up to the door with a pizza and the idiot on the other side of the door fires the shotgun through the door. OK, now, this nothing good can happen of this. OK, nothing absolutely good can come of this. But by grace of God, the, the lady is not injured. But as the police say, she flees. No, no kidding. Presumably taking the pizza with her. But she flees and the guy shoots a shotgun blast through the door. She immediately calls 911. Um, the cops show up. Big old hole in the front door. Uh, they ask um, the the guy at the house what's going on. He says, "Well, yeah, I, I had ordered the pizza, and I quote accidentally fired the shotgun um, upon the driver driver's arrival. I accidentally fired the shotgun." How do you accidentally fire a shotgun through the door? I ask rhetorically. Washington County Sheriff's detectives executed a search warrant on the House early Thursday morning, collected evidence. Suspect will face several felony charges, including first-degree recklessly endangering safety, you think, felony bail jumping, there you go, and operating a firearm while intoxicated. Okay, this, this is probably a call for Wagner's rule of life number nine, which is if you get yourself blind drunk, don't pull out the loaded shotgun, because once again nothing good can happen from this. Uh, the authorities say we are thankful the victim is physically okay. However, our thoughts go out to her as she processes the traumatic event that could have easily resulted in tragedy. The suspect's recent pattern of behavior is extremely concerning, no kidding, and we are working diligently to uncover how this could have occurred and hold him accountable well i I agree with all of that and it's just there but for the grace of God you know go I and again from my perspective for the 46 year old DoorDash delivery driver who had the guy shoot through the door at her when she was arriving um, very, very lucky. That's a positive thing. My advice is go play Powerball because this, this may in fact be your, your lucky week. No question about it. All right. We, we had this at the top of the hour news. I am curious as to how you react to it. it it's, it was inevitable, but it is, it has happened. Governor Tony Evers has apparently signed an agreement with the Forest County Potawatomi to allow them to offer sports betting at their casinos, including the big casino that is in downtown Milwaukee. It's not a done deal, but it's almost a done deal. What happens is once you make the deal, it's got to go to the Department of Interior for approval, and they have a 40-day window that they look at it. But given the fact that Oneida cut a similar deal and and was allowed to have it approved. I, I can't imagine that the Department of Interior is going to object to it. Pottawatomie say they hope to open a sports book venue by the end of the year. Now for people who are, are keeping score at home, the Pottawatomie had a race book where you could go and, and bet on, on horse racing. Um as a matter of fact I, I knew several of people that, that work there. That closed when the hotel essentially closed because of the pandemic, I want to say March or April of twenty twenty. And I, I don't I think I'm correct when I say that the race book has not reopened since then. My guess, and it's just a guess, but it's probably an educated guess, is that when when the sports betting is approved, what you're going to see is you'll see this reopen and you'll have the race book there so people can bet on horse racing but you'll also be able to to bet on on ball games. The rule is that you can't I think bet on Wisconsin uh, college teams but otherwise you you can you can pretty much bet so just like, you could go to a nighter and bet, just like you can go to Illinois and bet, just like you can go to Las Vegas and bet. Now you will be able to go to Potawatomi Casino in Milwaukee once this, again, sports book opens up and place all sorts of, of bets. This, this is, of course, the, the big thing. It is the latest trend. It always used to be that for gambling, you pretty much had to do it in, in Las Vegas. Now that's changed dramatically. I'm just looking at one of the stories here. Um, in the states that have opened up for sports betting since 2018, Pennsylvania has taken in $144 million in tax revenue. New Jersey, $139 million in tax revenue. Illinois, $47 million in tax revenue. Now, my guess is that Wisconsin at least at this stage, isn't going to generate close to that much in tax revenue as a result of this. But Wisconsin citizens who want to bet on sporting events now aren't going to have to drive to Illinois to, to do it. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Is it time to recognize that, look, sports betting is here to stay and as a matter of fact more and more of the professional leagues have have now gotten financially in bed with the, with sports betting to the point that you turn on ESPN nowadays and, and you've got shows that are dedicated to, I don't know, what the line is and whether teams are going to cover and things like that. So now that the leagues have themselves recognized there's this huge revenue generating sort of thing. I was watching golf the other day, for goodness sakes, the golf tournament the other day, and, and they were showing I think it was on the golf channel they were showing you know the odds it was the phoenix open and they were showing the the odds that you you had okay if you, if you bet on so and so you know right now this is the odds that you can get you know if you bet on him and maybe those odds will change in a little bit Eight five five six one six one six twenty. is this a good thing that we are now opening the door even wider to sports betting in wisconsin Eight five five six one six one six twenty. we discuss in a moment You're listening
0: to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. All
1: right, the breaking news today is Governor Evers has signed an agreement with Potawatomi to allow them to offer sports betting at their casinos, particularly at the, the casino in Milwaukee. This follows an agreement that they cut a while back with the Oneidas to allow them to offer sports betting, and they do that now in, in Green Bay. I, I guess I look at this, and I, my reaction is the, the sports betting genie has been out of the bottle. That, that's just the reality. With all the surrounding states that are doing it, and with the ease of gambling on the Internet. Admittedly, illegal in some cases, but people are still doing it. So I guess my reaction is, if people want to place a bet on the Green Bay Packers or on the Brewers or on the Bucks, or on any sports team to figure out a way to do it. So we might as well recognize that, and we might as well figure a way to capture some of that in the form of taxes. 855-616-1620. Troy in Florida. Troy, WTMJ. Troy. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call.
2: Sure. Hello. Thanks for taking my Hi. call, Jeff. Um, I, I, I'm i uh, 100% for it. I, I, I think back to the lottery that we slowly got introduced now it's just a way of part of life up here and all the other states that are around I just don't understand why we got to be behind why we, why we can't you know move forward and get this taken care of um, maybe they're doing it with the casinos but it, it just needs to be broadened and and opened up for everybody in all locations and different things like that it would be an interesting poll question for you to find out what people think you know is am I just one of the minority that are for it or there are several that don't care, but that that would be my thought. So uh, here's up. talking to you Good from up. sunny Florida, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Outstanding! Thanks for the call, Troy. I appreciate it. Well, that's that's it. I mean, okay. Here, here's one of our one of our listeners who sends a text, Jeff. Despite all the popular belief, not all people who gamble are irresponsible degenerates. Gambling can be fun if you don't allow it to control you. And, and that's, I mean, look, that, that's that that's the reality. As somebody who has been known to place a bet on a sporting event from time to time, I, I recognize that. Now, at, at the same time, I, I do. Look, I've got a story in the Washington Post in front of me. Sports betting will keep booming in 2022, and it's talking about how um, gambling is just growing and growing. And and Wisconsin is not unique. Um, Right now, there's going to be, let's see, with uh, New York, Ohio, um, and another 29 states, there's already over 30 states that allow some form of, of sports betting. That's just just where we are. Some of them allow you to do it over the internet. You know, you download the app. Others, you know, you actually have to physically go into the casino and place bets. So I mean, I don't. But so again, that's why I say the genie here is out of the bottle when it comes to this. And clearly, it's something that people want. And I accept the premise that I think most people who gamble gamble responsibly. That's not to say, though, that some people, you know, don't have a problem. But I guess I, I look at this, and this is why I say the genie is out of the bottle. If you are somebody that has that gamble problem, I, I'm not sure allowing you to bet on football games legally at Pottawatomie is going to make that any worse any worse off. Because if you've got that issue, chances are you're down there playing the slot machines anyways, or, you know, playing blackjack or or, or whatever plus there's so many different ways that people can gamble now including if you want a sports bet you can drive up to a night or if you want a sports bet you can drive down to Chicago the Chicago area into Illinois there's so many opportunities to do this nowadays so by kind of pretending that it's not out there I I just don't understand what the point is now now hopefully again we will continue to encourage people who decide to do this to do it responsibly and in the bottom line line is, I think that's that's what a lot of the casino operators want as is, is well. Yes, they want to make money, and yes, they want people to bet, but the last thing they want is to, again, feed into the problem gambling, because that, that ends up being big publicity. Bottom line, and one of our texters said, I think this is the only decent thing that Tony Evers has ever done. That might be overstating it, but I think it, it's clearly an appropriate situation. It, it's time for Wisconsin to join, I think, the rest of of the nation or the vast majority of the nation and recognize that people want to place bets on on games. That's the direction the country is moving in, and you might as well just stop fighting it. Go with the flow. So the bottom line is starting maybe by the end of this year, you will be able to place bets on events by going down to uh, Pottawatomie. Good luck. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.